It's time once again for the Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast with your hosts, David Lindner and Kevin Cruz. Worship Ministry Catalyst is a resource for all worship leaders and team members serving in the local church. Take a seat at the table and join the conversation as David, Kevin, and their guests discuss all things worship, from team dynamics to technology to song selection. Feel free to poke fun at David's hair, talk football, or bring up other topics that have nothing to do with worship. We want to add your voice to the conversation. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WMCatalyst. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst. Or just head over to worshipministrycatalyst.com and drop a note in the comments section of any episode. And now, it's time for the show. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. Hello. And if you can't tell, Kevin is back with me on these episodes. Yay, I know. I was sad. Uh, that's when I was in the Dominican Republic, right? Yeah. So I went on a mission trip with uh, my church. We spent 10 days in the Dominican Republic. I'm even drinking from the uh, Dominican Republic water bottle, uh, Planeta Azul, Blue Planet. Yeah, I think you did that last time, didn't you? You kind of kept drinking out of the water oh, bottle. Oh yeah, after. it's it's like it's it's my thing, That's you know. Reminder. Uh, it's uh, that last water bottle. Um, I still have it. I don't use it anymore. But I was using it for about six months, and then it just started like smelling really weird and kind of getting nasty. Um, so I retired it, but now I got a brand new one, and this right. one's only two weeks old. So I, I got at least like three or four months of usage on it. Yeah. <laughs> But so Kevin's back with us, and we are back for hey. another episode, another uh, exciting episode of the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. And uh, um, we have, if you haven't listened, you can go back and check out in previous episodes. We've partnered with uh, uh, Garden City Project, and Kevin and I talked about that a few episodes ago. And so we'd just love for you to go check that out so you know uh, what's going on here uh, with our with our new direction. And of course, we'd just love you to go, if you would uh, want to check out the ebook. Um, Creation Emancipation. You can go download that for free, uh, both a PDF and an EPUB version if you'd like to have it on your reader and just kind of know a little bit behind uh, what we're talking about, where we're going, and kind of the manifesto and mantra of of this uh, of this thing that we do here. But nice. today we've got an interview. Really exciting. Yeah. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing this interview. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was talking with David about this. We've interviewed uh, a lot of musicians. We've interviewed some authors. But I believe this is our first interview with a playwriter. Yeah. So. And so today uh, we got to uh, interview Chris Craigenday, and uh, and her and her uh, new play. I guess you would say. I guess play yeah. with. Yeah. It's not uh, a book. Yeah, uh, not a book. <laughs> it's a play. Not a book, but uh, Martin Luther on trial. And so listen into this conversation with Chris. Well, we are pleased to have joined with us on the podcast today, Chris Craigenday, who is a playwright, and we're going to get into a little bit of what she has done and what she's just worked on. But uh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. Um, if, if you wouldn't mind, just right off the bat, would you take just a couple of minutes and introduce yourself and kind of give us a brief history of how you got into uh, uh, the playwright business and a little bit about your story. Sure. Um, yeah, I've been living and working in the theater community in New York City for about 12 years. Um, 
I started out as an actor, as, as a young buck, um, as most playwrights did, and um, actually went to Baylor to get my MFA in directing. Wow. Uh, came to New York City and applied to um, a group called the Emerging Writers Group at the Public Theater, which is a pretty prestigious um, writers group for young writers and was accepted into their inaugural group. And ever since then, um, I've been a playwright. Wow. Now, I, I got to ask, because I was trying to figure this out. Um, so the MFA, is, is that Masters in Fine Arts? Is that what it stands for? That's correct. Oh, yes. I'm good. Good job. Yeah. Well done. I was totally guessing. It was like, I, I was like, I wonder if that's what that means. And I'm right. Yeah, neither Kevin or I have any master's work whatsoever. So <laughs> we, we, yeah, that's we like a, that's are foreign language, foreign territory to us. Yeah. Um, but congratulations on uh, um, earning your MFA. I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of hard work. And to get that in stage directing, that's a pretty big deal. Well, thanks. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> cool. Oh, so that was Baylor. And I don't know if you, maybe this, maybe no one wants to talk about this, but you know, we watched the show Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines. Wow. And they're big Baylor, they're big Baylor grads, right? Yeah, they yeah. are. I, and so like, I know way more about Baylor than I ever knew before because I watched this show. And I've, I've never seen this show and I have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Well, so, Well, you got to get in the know a little I, bit here. Apparently, I'm way has, out. Okay, I'm sorry. It has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about. But right. I heard Baylor and Chip and Joanna came to mind. So I just had to, I had to say okay, it. Okay, got it. Nice. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. No. But um, if, we, uh, if we can talk just a little bit uh, about what... Uh, about before we get into the project, um, would kind of like to talk a little bit about what you do. Um, sure. Or I would like to talk a little bit about what you do. Me too. I'm I'm in on this. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're both in I on just, it. I speak for Kevin a lot of the time, and no, I'm in. I often say that at church on a Sunday morning. I'll say we, and I I think in the moment I probably shouldn't speak for everyone for in everyone. the room. Yeah, because I don't know if they all agree with me. Maybe make it. Yeah, make it more about you. But in this yeah. case, it's a we. We okay. want to know. Okay. Well, we want to know. Um, first, maybe uh, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about uh, the process that's involved and in, and in writing a play. I mean, we've talked with songwriters in the past and uh, even some authors, but we haven't really talked to a playwright. So this kind of new territory for us. How do you begin? And then what is it, where do you go from there when you're writing a play? Sure. Well, it can be different. That, that journey can be different depending on the piece. Um, I would say most commonly, you know, playwrights start with an idea. Um, usually something, some situation that, that feels like it um, speaks really true to the human experience, captures your imagination, and... Um, and the more seasoned you become as a playwright, the more you're able to identify, oh, that would make a really great play. Um, and then usually as a playwright, you sit down and you write the first draft in isolation. And um, everyone, different playwrights have different, you know, ways of going about that. Um, but after the first draft, you usually pick a few um very trusted souls that you share it with and you get feedback from. And for me, those are my fellow playwrights in the emerging writers group at the public. 
Um, we've been together for about eight years now and, um, know each other's work really well. So I always bring my first drafts to them. Can I, can I ask real quick, just got to interrupt you here, Chris, is it, so you spend all this time, you're working on something, it's your baby, it's, it's your project, you know, and, and you've labored over this and now like you, you let other people see it. Is it hard to kind of let your baby out in the world? And is it hard to get feedback when people are like, oh, this is horrible, you know, like what, what's that like? Well, um, if the person that you're sharing it with knows how to properly give feedback to a playwright, they rarely say, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're skilled in offering constructive criticism while without crushing your soul. Um, but uh, for me, I'm actually usually really excited to share it with people. Um, you know, there's nothing more satisfying with see- than seeing and hearing people laugh at the jokes that I've written or seeing and hearing people be touched by things, um, that I, you know, hope will touch their heart. And so for me, that's a really exciting part of the process. And I tend to share very early in the process while other, some playwrights wait until their second or third draft before they share it with anyone. I, I'm always so excited to get it out there that, you know, that I just do it. Now, one uh, follow-up question uh, to what David was saying earlier. You know, so neither David nor myself have a lot of experience with you know playwriting, and um, I'm curious. Just this is just me being curious. Um, when you're writing a play, are you writing every single thing, like the staging, the blocking, the you know, like uh, you know, upstage, and now you know, enter this, and and like how how detailed is the it when you're cues and yeah, light, all yeah. the cues, lighting cues, sound score, like how detailed is it when you're writing this playwright? Uh-huh. Well, again, it is different for every playwright, but you do imagine all of that, and sometimes you do write in a lighting cue or a sound cue if it's a very if it's important to the storytelling. Um, but you only write in those cues that must be there in order for the, um, the story to be told the way that you intend for it to be told. Um, and the same with stage directions. Um, you kind of the, you know, the wisdom on the street is include the parts that have to be done, you know, only write that they, that they stand here if they have to stand there. Otherwise, it changes the story. Okay. And you uh, want to leave you want to leave as much to the actors as possible, um, while still making sure that that your story is being told. So when when you um, when you give it to the actors, do the actors have kind of creative control or creative license to kind of move uh, the way they want, or is that where the director comes in and, and tells them what to do? Well, different directors work differently, um, but most directors try and um, preserve the actor's impulse as much as possible um, and then kind of shape the staging around, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, so most directors, yeah, will try and let the actors explore the scene first but then eventually you have to start setting things in stone. You have to start saying, okay, you can't stand right there because then we can't see this, you know? Um, but you really do want, you want, you want the actors to feel, uh, ownership over the performance because 
you know, the, the difference between theater and film is that ultimately the actors are the ones that have got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and they have to do it every single time, you know, they have to be inspiring and feel the moment every single time. And so you have to make sure that they are given what they need to accomplish that. Hmm. Well, I have, I, I have done a, a little bit of writing. Ah, this guy, this guy, look at you. One, one time for a Christmas program at the church up in Longview. Did you write a Christmas play? No, no. Um, we had, we had, we bought a drama from, I don't know where, where we bought it from, but it didn't have an ending. Oh, I get just stopped out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and so I'm like, I, I like most of the story, but at the same time, it like, isn't that a big part of writing anything? Like Is having an ending, a beginning, middle and an end. Right. <laughs> right. And like, if you're not going to end, why bother beginning? <laughs> So I had to learn a little bit about writing. And what I realized is the reason it probably didn't have an end is because it's actually, it can be challenging to end something mm. in a meaningful way, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, so how do you, how do you approach that? Because when you're, especially in, in the church world or in, in the Christian Christianity world, we're not usually just writing to only tell the story. A lot of time we're trying to lead people to the end, to something significant at the end. How do you write in such a way that you're leading people to that conclusion that you're hoping they'll come to? Well, sure. I mean, this, this challenge goes all the way back to Aristotle and the Greeks. I mean, Aristotle said that the whole purpose of theater was to bring people to catharsis, which is exactly what you're talking about. That moment in the theater where everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you know, um, and that is a moment where, uh, where the audience has some sort of epiphany about what it means to be human. And mm. they understand the human experience in some greater way that's not just a, an intellectual response, but it's a full gut, body, mind, emotion, overwhelming, ex- sens- sensuous experience. Mm. And that's, that's catharsis. And that is what you want in the theater. That's why we do theater and and you want that collective catharsis to happen in the climax of the play. And, um, and so you have to usually personally, I know what my ending is before I start. Not all playwrights do that, but usually that's what I'm working towards the whole time. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you've uh, you've been working on something, or you've written something called Martin Luther on Trial. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about that and uh, and what the, what's encapsulated in this new play from you? Sure. Um, Martin Luther on Trial is a is a play about Martin Luther the Reformer, not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and um, and it's you know it's we're now 500 years away from the 95 theses where he started the Reformation, which changed the world and shaped the whole history of of Western thought. And um, and we're at the 500 year anniversary right now. And Max McLean actually it was his idea to to do a play about him. And, um, as we talked about it, we decided we wanted it to be a play that looked at the story from a modern perspective rather than just a straight telling of history. 
And so this play is, is a fantasy in which um, the devil has gotten permission from God to retry Martin Luther's soul. Wow. And the devil thinks that God is harboring Martin Luther and that Martin Luther is being unjustly protected in heaven. And um, Katie Luther, Katie Von Bora, Martin Luther's wife on earth, has been called to defend Martin Luther's soul, and St. Peter is presiding over the trial. And there are a lot of really fun witnesses. The first witness that the devil calls is Adolf Hitler. Wow. Mm. Um, and we see um, an LK testify. We see Freud testify. Um, and, and lastly, we see Pope Francis oh, testify. Wow. So there's a lot of fun comedy, but there's, all, there's a lot of... Um, really in-depth look at theology and um, scripture and history and politics. And, um, you know, it's kind of all wrapped up into grappling with the human experience of wanting to do great things. And sometimes, as Katie says in the play, succeeding gloriously and then other times failing miserably. Hmm. You know, the, the whole concept sounds absolutely fascinating. I mean, that's something I would go see. Yeah, I that, would. So next time I'm in New York, uh, Chris, I'll... <laughs> Hopefully uh, it'll still be running. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I, I love that idea. So would you would you categorize this play as a comedy? Uh, would you categorize it as a drama or a satire? Or what? what uh, how do you describe it to people? Well, it's definitely not a satire. Um, it's... Uh, we like to call it a fantasy, um, but it's it's definitely funny in some parts, but it's definitely uh, gets pretty dark and dramatic in other oh, parts God. as well, because that was part of Martin Luther's story. So mm. now you mentioned um, Max McLean. Um, did he help write this uh, with you? Um, he kind of served more as a creative collaborator and then at, towards the end of the process as an editor. So he, he commissioned me to write the play and I wrote the first few drafts on my own with his, um, dramaturgical feedback. And then as we really got towards the end of the process, he, uh, and I kind of sat down and did some fine tuning together. Nice. Nice. And that's part of that collaborative um, work you talked about where, you, you know, you write something and then you bring it to others and you have them kind of help you and you develop it and you create it into something even even better, hopefully, than what it normally would have been. Right. Yeah, that's the idea. You just used a really big word. Dramaturgical. Is that what you said? <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's a word that only theater people know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dramaturgical. Is that... What, okay, what is that? Now we got to so, talk about that. So this is actually something that I love about the theater. So in the theater world, um, the writer's voice is really important. It's it's more like it's more like poetry than it is like film in that way. And so um, we have these people called dramaturgs. And what their job is is to give uh, feedback to playwrights without squashing their voice. Uh -huh. And it's a very specific kind of training that you go through. But directors also end up functioning as dramaturgs a lot. 
and um, sometimes artistic directors do as well, which is um, kind of the function that Max played earlier in the process on this play. That's a very important G on the end of that word. Dra- drama, yeah. dramaturg. Yeah. Turgs. Turgs. Dramaturg. Yeah. Turg. Okay. <laughs> just, just to clarify. Just not a D at the end. Yeah, okay. A, yeah. Got it. Sorry. <laughs> oh, David. Um, okay. Going back to the important things like your play, um, <laughs> the uh, Martin Luther on trial. So, you know, you mentioned the 500 year anniversary. I mean, which is a pretty significant thing when you think about, you know, the church and the history of the church and the Reformation. So obviously, you know, as you're writing this, you're thinking of real historical events. Um, why do you think historical events are helpful for enriching faith, uh, enriching our worship, enriching the way that we understand even God and the Bible? Well, I think that one of the really interesting things about history is that when you look at it, you realize, oh, we're all the same. <laughs> You know, things don't really change that much. Humans don't really change that much. Um, and, you know, we're still dealing with this the exact same things that Christians dealt with in the time of the Reformation and not just Christians, but that human beings dealt with at the time of the Reformation. And um so I think sometimes we can see our, we can look at history and we can see ourselves and we can understand ourselves better than if we're just looking at ourselves in the mirror. And so that, uh, that helps tie all of us together, right? It helps bridge yeah. the gap between mm-hmm. this story that's kind of out in an ethereal world, you know, which Martin Luther, especially if you've you know been in uh church and studied church history a little bit. You've heard the name, you've heard, you know, the idea of Martin Luther, but he's a a historical figure way back in the day, right? You don't, we don't really think much about him anymore. We talk about his 95 theses on Mm -hmm. at Halloween, but that's about all we ever mentioned about Martin Luther, but to, to not only connect and bring the story of Martin Luther to life and bring Mm -hmm. it back, but to actually go the extra mile and make the connection between the similarities of what he was facing, what Christians, what people were dealing with at his time, as well as, uh, and the similarity that that is with what we're dealing with today. And I really, I really like that concept of what you said, Chris, where um, you have a guy who's, you know, 500 years old or an event, I should say that took place 500 years ago. But I mean, he's a guy he was experiencing things. He was seeing church in a certain way, you know, was frustrated by some of the things he was seeing with, with uh, church. And I, I love, uh, you know, just this idea that you're presenting where, you know, you're kind of humanizing him uh, in, in maybe a context that is, you know, partly funny, but also, you know, dramatic, you know, the, the trial thing and, you know, bringing in the different witnesses. I mean, it's a very clever idea. Um, I wish I would have thought of it. I, I could have pitched, I, you know, I could have pitched you the idea and, and you would have been like, that's great. Um, well, I should say that um, it was inspired by a, a previous play called um, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot by Stephen Giergis. And um, we kind of use that as a model for this play. That's cool. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we have time for a couple more questions. Um, again, thank you for taking time out of your day today uh, over there in New York. 
uh, talking to us all the way out here in the uh, Portland, Vancouver area. Um, this question right here. So David and I have talked a lot in previous podcasts about uh, just the importance of art within the church. Uh, David even wrote a book uh, kind of about the idea that uh, that creativity and art is from God, is something that God gave us uh, to be creative beings. And, um, you know, so we, we've talked a lot about that, and especially uh, with Dave Yock and uh, Garden City Project and, and the partnership we have there. But, it, sorry, anyway, long wind-up um, <laughs> to, to say, uh, as you think about art and, and playwriting, which is a form of art, and as you think about the importance of good art and good writing, how do you think um, good playwriting and good art can help the church and edify the church and, and help, uh, help the church with worship and mission? Um, talk about that a little bit. Well, um, yeah, I would love to. I mean, the, the thing about theater is it's a very humanizing experience. Um, it's flesh on flesh. It's face to face. You're in a room with total strangers and you're sharing. If, if it's done right, you're sharing deeply meaningful moments. You're connecting with people without even speaking with them. You're experiencing the same emotions. You're having the same thoughts. You're laughing at the same things. You're crying at the same things. And you really feel a sense of solidarity with your fellow human beings. And really, the only thing like it is the church. Mm. Um, maybe live sporting events might be similar in some ways. Um, and so in an age where we are becoming increasingly disconnected to other human beings because our, our points of connection are via the screen as ours is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that these kinds of communal events like actually meeting together to worship in a church, flesh to flesh, sitting next to other people who are different from you, which I think is really important. Um, and the theater and, and the thing is, unfortunately churches are more homogenous, um, and not all churches. There are some churches that are really not homogenous and, and that's great, but people tend to kind of cleave together, you know, in the churches where there are other people like them, but in the theater, you really are sitting next to people that, um, are different from you. And so it's just so important. It's so humanizing. And, um, and I think it's important that church people engage in humanizing activities because we can't love our neighbors if we don't. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, I really, I really resonate with what you're talking about. You know, I think um, it's so important that we in the church understand that the people we're trying to reach are people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so much, so much of what's happened, I think, through the church has been there has been a demonizing instead of a humanizing of people and people who disagree with you, people who, uh, who think differently than you, they're, they're just the enemy. They're not your fellow, you know, humans and yeah. we're all people, right? We're all, right. and you're, how are we going to reach people if we aren't, if we aren't people with them alongside with them? And, uh, and so I think that's very, very critical. And at the same time, it's very important that 
that the art that we're producing and um, uh, you know plays and s- songs and stories and everything can can not only minister to or speak to the church and its mission, but I think there's a great role that art plays in connecting and speaking to those outside the church. And and uh, if our art can help bridge that gap, I think that's also another critical role that that it plays. And uh, so maybe maybe we can kind of finish up on on this uh, dialogue on on where people might be able to see this play and kind of where it's where it's being presented and uh, and where they might also be able to find out more about you and what you've got going on. Sure. Well, um, Fellowship for the Performing Arts is the name of Max's organization that's producing it and developed it. And um, it's currently running on 42nd Street off Broadway in New York City right now and runs until the end of January. Um, and so you can you can see it right now. Awesome. <laughs> um, uh, and then, and of course we hope that after that it will go on and play in many other cities. Um, and, and, and so hopefully that will happen as well. Um, if you're interested in my work as a playwright, I, I do have a website, chriscraigenday.com. Craigenday is high, uh, has a hyphen. Um, and, and you can read a little bit more about my work there as well. Okay. Mm. Well, as we kind of finish up, would you uh, do you have any final words of encouragement to your fellow playwrights or just fellow artists out here in the podcast land that uh, may need a little encouragement today <laughs> from someone who has some experience? And- someone who has a master's in fine yeah. arts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think, you know, it's um, playwriting as well as most forms of fine art, I think it's, it can be agonizing work. Um, but I really think that it's worth it. And I really think that, um, that we have to do it. I mean, uh, humans will never stop doing it because it is part of our being created in the image of God. God made us where we, we can't live without being creative people. Like we die if we stop being creative people. And so it's not, it's never going to go away. Um, but what words of encouragement is just, you know, be, be excellent artists. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for, um, telling half truths. Be honest about, what you know the human experience to be, because that is being honest about your faith. Um, and if you do that, people will, it will resonate with people, whether they're believers or not. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Thank you, Chris, so much for joining us, for being on the show. Uh, really appreciate just kind of, uh, a breath of fresh air uh, having you here. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Good stuff, right? That was cool. That was good. Um, One of the things that that I found really great about Chris is she is an artist, you know, And, and David, you and I were talking about this. It's just, there's there's people who just live and breathe art, you know, who are just they're artists in their hearts and they they express it in everything. Right. And uh, boy, you know, you, you talk to Chris just a half hour with her, and I'm like, that is an artist. That is someone 
that I could just sit down for an hour or two and just pick their brain uh, about art and art in the church and what you know how to create beauty out of things. Um, so it was really, uh, really fun doing that interview with Chris. Right. And one of the things I, I appreciate is this is art that's being done out in the world. Like this is right. like they're, they're on church. They're right there in New York, 42nd street. They're doing the Broadway thing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to be around the New York area in the next month or two. Right. To be um, able to see it. I, which is a bummer. But right. seriously, if you are listening and you're anywhere nearby, if you're in New Jersey, if you're in, uh, I don't know what else is near. What else is nearby New York? Um, uh, Scranton, and, uh, yeah, yeah, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, yeah. right? Um, uh, Connecticut? No, that's far away. Is that too far? That's, that's not that far. But, okay, yeah. but no, uh, Scranton. You know, like if you're a fan of The Office, you know that New York's only a couple hours away right. from Scranton. Yeah. Um. So, but anyway, so on it's on Forty Second Street. Uh, we learned that in the interview, and uh, it's Luther on trial. So if you happen to be in the area, go check it out and uh, throw your support that way. But um, anyway, that's, I just appreciate that. And I think that's a great opportunity for us as, as believers is when we have the chance to do our, our, our art out in the in view of public or out in the public square, public forums, not always, uh, just only in the church and for other Christians to see, which there's, there's a great benefit in that. I'm not putting that down at all, but I think this helps us communicate with those outside the faith when we have this opportunity to take advantage of it. So that was one of the things I appreciated there. So, um, anyway, go check that out and uh, and the work that she's been doing there, and maybe yeah. be able to see some for other plays, and maybe it'll it'll uh, get into your part of the country, and you'll have heard about it here, and you'll totally. be able to go check it out. So totally. But uh, we're also working on other projects, and we just love for you to go to the projects tab on our our website, worshipministrycatalyst.com, yes. and click on projects right there at the very top. Those are some of the ones that we've done, and maybe you would like to contribute to a project, lots of opportunities there, or you have an idea of a project you would like to work on and you can submit those there as well. And so uh, we're just going to kind of keep reminding you about that and just love to see our listeners become, you know, some of the contributors to uh, the artistic expression of our faith, not only in your community, but in the, in the greater uh, Christian community, uh, literally around the world as people listen to this podcast. Yeah. Very cool. And so, uh, you can find us online, worshipministrycatalyst.com, twitter.com slash wmcatalyst, facebook.com slash worshipministrycatalyst. And we love it if you leave a review at iTunes and uh, let everyone know about it. And if you would, you know, just share this podcast with uh, with your friends and uh, other uh, other creatives, other worship pastors, other pastors that you know that think this uh, would be a great resource for them. And as always, if you'd like to send an email, you can send it yeah, to... Yeah, send it to me. Don't send it to David. Nope, don't uh, do that. <laughs> send it to Kevin at worshipministrycatalyst.com. And uh, we'll get back to you as best we can. And Kevin will be a lot better at that than I will. So. <laughs> right. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Twitter.com slash WMCatalyst. Facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst. <laughs>